0: Now, Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio brings you prescribed listening from our trusted contributors at the Ontario Pharmacists Association.
1: Welcome back. Now for something completely different. Is your medicine cabinet beginning to look like that junk drawer in your kitchen where all sorts of odds and ends go? It's probably a good idea to clean up your medicine cabinet Every so often, and I am here with our trusted contributor from the Ontario Pharmacists Association, John Papasturgio. So he's going to help us figure out what to keep, what to throw away, and uh, how to get rid of that stuff in a safe manner. I'm going to give the numbers... Before we start this conversation, 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 and of course, John will take any and all your pharmaceutical questions, uh, so uh, the topic of the day is cleaning out your pharmacy cabinet, but if you want to talk about some of the things that are in the cabinet, He is here. John, welcome and thanks for joining us. great to be back. Well, John, uh, you know, speaking of cleaning out the cabinet, um, I just got back from a short uh, holiday in New Orleans, and yesterday I went to the pharmaceutical museum there, which was fascinated, fascinating. The first licensed pharmacist was in New Orleans, and uh, he was licensed in 1816, I think, and started practicing 1823. And his home and shop uh, has been turned into a museum with stuff from all over the country. And they still had, like, all these bottles lined up with tinks tinctures and things and and whatever they used to use, and and a lot of it, frankly, truly frightening, uh, chocolate-covered arsenic pills, uh, all kinds of um, opium and laudanum and heroin, uh, which were just, you know, good drugs for nervousness, I guess, then.
2: Absolutely. They Actually, in Ontario, we have something similar. The Niagara Apothecary was the first pharmacy in Canada. And if anyone's on uh, at Niagara on the Lake, I, I'm sure they're very similar. Uh, you get to see kind of all the old uh, uh, concoctions that the pharmacists used to uh, uh, make to treat uh, different therapeutic areas. That being said, uh, you know, the topic today is cleaning out your cabinet. I bet you many of our listeners' uh, cabinets look like those Museums, and I've seen it firsthand. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we've, uh, you know, we. I have. I, I was, uh, you know, uh, happy that we had this topic today because I have quite a bit of experience in this area. Uh, you know, I've mentioned before on the show, I do quite a bit of research, and one of my kind of the areas of interest is home uh, medication uh, review visits. So what we do is we go into the homes of seniors uh, as part of uh, our, our studies and and see what we find. And the findings, Libby, uh, you wouldn't believe it. We come out of these homes with bags of uh, uh, old medication, stuff that the patients aren't using, expired people taking their neighbor's medications. It was truly eye-opening for me that what uh, people have in their homes, and, and this is, uh, can be potentially very, very dangerous. I mean, uh, uh, when medications go beyond their expire date, certain medications is not a big deal. For others, it, it can be uh, quite dangerous. What is even more concerning is uh, patients taking medications that they've stockpiled that their pharmacist or physician isn't even aware of, so you're you're on the regimen that we've kind of set you up on. But then you go home and say, hey, "I'm having some, uh, you know, a sore throat. Let me uh, take this antibiotic, for example." And that that potentially could be dangerous, uh, uh, and that's something we're trying to uh, address. Uh, recently, I got a grant from the Canadian uh, Foundation of Pharmacy to look specifically uh, at this problem, and uh, we're we're hoping to publish the results later this year. But if I give you a snapshot, we were removed on average from the homes of uh, these patients about 20 medications so imagine that we're going into these homes and on average sometimes it was bags, other times it was uh, uh, you know a few things but most commonly it was uh, pain medications opioids, stuff like that, old antibiotics, old inhalers old eye drops this is stuff that, you you know, you shouldn't be using once it goes beyond its uh, uh, dating can be really problematic. And I think it's, uh, you know, New Year, time for us to kind of revisit what we have in our homes and get rid of them.
1: Well, uh, let me make a personal confession. Sure. Is that when, when I was sick with cancer um, <laughs> a long time mm-hmm. ago now, uh, for a while I was on a lot of Opioids, and it was interesting. I must have—I couldn't believe it because I must have filled a prescription right before I had my surgery, and things started to get better. Because there was an entire shoebox full of this stuff, I just could not believe it. And it's expensive. And literally, my thought was like, I'm not going to throw this out. Like, who knows if—if if it comes back, I'm going to need it again or something. And I kept it for quite a while. I mean, sure. we finally got rid of it. But that, I guess that's the thought. You know, these are expensive drugs. I'm not getting rid of it just because I don't need it anymore for the moment.
2: Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's I think people think that way. It's expensive. I have it. Maybe I'll need it in the future. Maybe I'll give it to someone that uh, needs it. That's even more dangerous, and I've seen that. We saw oh. that within our the confines of our study. You'd walk in, and, and patients would have vials that it wasn't their name. Where did you get this from? Oh, my neighbor gave it to me. Right? I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh, you got to be real careful. Some of these medications were for blood pressure, anxiety, uh, depression. It's uh, it, it was quite concerning. Think of the simple example you you just gave. If uh, uh, you know you were on a pain medication back in the day say for and and it could be a you know something um, of moderate potency a lot of time has elapsed and now you have some acute pain you're you're saying uh, you know maybe I'll take that medication but the reality is you've gotten older maybe the way you met ma- you clear drugs has changed a little bit uh, maybe your weights changed all of a sudden you ta- decide to take that opioid that could have significant side effects if it's a potency that's too too strong for you now and you know that's when you get into you know a little respiratory depression Unconsciousness and some of these other things. So it's just being very, very careful that some of these medications that you took a while back may not be appropriate now, especially given your current kind of medication regimen.
1: Now, where did you uh, find the people that you visited?
2: That's a great question. So, uh, in the, in the, in our study, actually, we had a questionnaire and we asked patients. We our hypothesis was uh, in in Ontario. Actually, if you're homebound, so if you uh, uh, you know if you can't get out to the pharmacy, there's actually funding for a pharmacist to come to your house and, uh, you know, visit you, review your medications and kind of do a clean out for you. And and pharmacists get reimbursed for that. And if you can't make it to your pharmacy, reach out to your local pharmacy. The pharmacist can make an appointment and do that for you. I think it's a great service. But at the time that we got our our, uh, uh, foundation grant there, we had a hypothesis that there was another group of patients. These were the patients that they make it to the pharmacy. But, you know, they they don't have a lot of care at home. They're elderly. They may be, uh, uh, you know, confused i uh, and and we just sensed that hey, there's an opportunity with this group, and we used that grant funding to target them specifically. And they they were uh, there was uh, three sites that participated in the study, and uh, what we found is that, that group of patients was actually worse than the homebound patients because the homebound patients they have they have care coming in, maybe CCAC, other uh, their relatives are aware of their issues. were this other group, uh, not so much, and uh, uh, the the results to us were very concerning, uh, very surprising, and I think. Uh, uh, we need to invest in this group of patients because they are they are really struggling with their medication management.
1: Okay, uh, people, uh, it's time to fess up. It's on the radio, so we can't see you. Mm-hmm. But how many old medications are you hanging on to, and why are you hanging on to them? And do you have medications that uh, were not prescribed for you, or have you given somebody a pill? I mean, I have to say, sometimes I've given sure. somebody a pill somebody's given me a pill uh depending on on what it is you know i'm 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 here fessing up uh, so the numbers to call 416-360-0740 toll free one 866 uh, 740 let's hear from giovanni in brampton hi giovanni oh yes good afternoon Hey, and Happy New Year. Thank Happy you. New year. Happy New Year to you. Yes, I think that I'm a diabetic,
2: and the best thing that I discovered last year, late last year, a few months ago, that a study from London, England, is that diabetes is reversible. Uh, Giovanni, great uh, uh, great question. Thanks for calling. I remember you from other calls as well. But the uh, uh, it, it really depends what you're talking about. So type 1 diabetes is not reversible. I think so. I'm talking about the diabetes 2. Type 2. So type 2, depending at what stage of your diabetes are, we there may be some opportunity to reverse it. Pre-diabetics, absolutely. If you're at that stage before your full-blown diabetes, if you make those lifestyle changes, lose the weight, watch what you eat... Uh, uh, exercise uh, at that point yeah we can reverse it uh, what, yes i found that about 2 3 years ago and it is very helpful to me i'm losing weight i'm uh, see better and everything and i thank god that uh, gave me a guide yeah and once you've become a type 2 diabetic the reality is by that point your 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 pancreas is very much uh, struggling with insulin production uh you know, if you make those same lifestyle changes that we talked about, is it possible for you to get off the medications? Absolutely. The reality is at some point your, your diabetes may progress again. So if we've, you know, if you reach that point, I would say it's much more hard or difficult to reverse. Uh, it really depends on what stage of the diabetes. Again, make those lifestyle changes if you're a diabetic. Uh, you know, eat better, diet, exercise. Take your medications as prescribed, and hey, maybe we'll be able to uh, uh, get you off some of those uh, uh, therapies.
1: Okay, Giovanni. Thank thanks. you. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Thank thanks. you. Bye bye. Thank you. Take care. Okay, uh, Bob in Burlington. Hi, Bob.
0: Uh, good afternoon. Hey, Bob. Uh, hi. I have a question. What what is the danger, or and or the side effects of having a few beers
2: while you are taking Cipralax? Good question. A question I get all the time. Uh, you know, it really is about how you respond to alcohol with the combination of Ciprolex. It's not acutely dangerous. If you're, you know, out, you're on Ciprolex, you have a couple beers, not the end of the world. That being said, some people are more sensitive. So Ciprolex, for those that don't know, it's a medication commonly used for depression and anxiety. Uh, uh, It belongs to a class of drugs called the SSRI. So what it does is it increases naturally the serotonin uh, in your brain that helps kind of treat those disease states. Uh, Bob, you know, if you Want to have a beer by all means go ahead and do it that being said if you have a beer and you feel a lot different than you historically would have, uh, you know, maybe think twice in the future. But it's not absolutely contraindicated. And it's fine uh, to have a couple of beers. Just don't go wild with it. And really, uh, you know, uh, you you know your body uh, better than anyone else. If you feel it's making you extra drowsy, confused, uh, then maybe hold back. But uh, no absolute contraindication there whatsoever. Oh, great. You made my day. Thank you very much. (laughs) Just don't overdo it, Bob. Okay, Okay, I won't. Thank uh, you.
1: Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, we have to take a quick break. Uh, we'll be back with more of your calls and questions for our trusted contributor, John Puppesturgeo. Before we go to break, the numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 He will answer all of your questions, but uh, maybe you want to answer mine. How many uh, old medications are you keeping around in your cabinet do you even know and do you have medications that are from someone else or you've given to someone else uh i'm pretty curious about that so uh, we'll be right back with that after the break
0: now fight back with libby's nimer on zoomer radio brings you prescribed listening from our trusted contributors at the ontario pharmacists association Welcome
1: back. I am here with pharmacist John Pappastergio. The number's to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We've been talking about uh cleaning out your medicine cabinet, but we're taking all kinds of questions. Let's go to Gail in Grand Valley. Hi Gail. Hi. You're on the air. Go ahead. Okay, I have a question about the shingles vaccine, the Zostavax. Yeah i uh received uh, the vaccine about five years ago okay. when the original vaccine came out wondering if it's recommended to have uh another uh vaccine with the new more improved uh higher dose more effective uh it's, vaccine that's
2: out now? It's a great question and it's something that we're going to hear uh, uh, more and more about. The new vaccine is called Shingrix. Uh, uh, very, very effective vaccine. So if we compare the vaccines, uh, Zostavax has an efficacy of around you know 70%. Uh, Shingrix is, is well over 90%. The difference between the two is uh, Zostavax right now is a single-dose vaccine, no booster required as of yet, uh, whereas uh, Shingrix, you require two doses. So uh, you know, in Ontario, uh, Zostavax is a vaccine that's covered. So many, many of our seniors have already received that vaccine. And so it's,
1: just to make the point, it's covered between the yes. ages of 65 and 70. That's
2: right, yeah. So and whereas it's indicated that you could, you could get the vaccine at really any uh, age over 50. So uh, many of our, our, our patients have already received, received Zostavax. So now they're asking, hey, there's this newer, better vaccine. Should I get it? Well... There's no easy answer yet, yet, and we don't really know. The reality is if you're super high risk uh, for shingles, you've had a first-degree family relative that's had it, maybe you're immunocompromised, something like that, I'd say we know there's absolutely no harm in getting it. So if you're willing to do it and willing to pay out of pocket, uh, it's something you could consider. Uh, you could get it. It's safe to do that. The vaccines work very, very differently, uh, and, and you're, you're still going to benef- benefit from the shingles. That being said... We know Zostavax still works very, very well. So if you've had it, the reality is your chances of getting shingles are quite a bit less. And then if you get shingles, it's going to be a much, much more attenuated course. So uh, you're not most likely not going to get peripheral neuropathy. So it's not an easy answer, uh, really, to say. I would
1: imagine that... Excuse me. I would imagine that this is something uh, that there will be a a trial or something to figure it out.
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, you know uh, uh, governments are uh, absolutely looking at the cost. Is it worth revaccinating all these patients? How, I mean, uh,
1: my, how much is it? It's, it's, uh, it's
2: yeah, it's like two hundred bucks. You know, so two hundred bucks for, for one, one of one dose, the do- yeah, so it's four hundred dollars because it's two doses. Yeah, wow, that's yeah, expensive. somewhere around there. So it's not a it's not a cheap uh, vaccine by any means. Uh, you know, Gail. I've danced around it a little bit because really it's a case-by-case case type of situation. Um, if you've been vaccinated, uh, you know, I would probably wait because it's only five years for you and you're still going to have really good coverage from your from your, uh, Zostavax uh, um you know, at some point you may want to consider it. I have a feeling we're going to get evidence soon that Zostavax will require a booster uh, because the vaccine's only been out for like eight years. And what we know from most live attenuated vaccines is they do require a booster. So that study's being done right now. They're looking at it. So there may be a time, Gil, where uh, you call in and I say, yeah, you need a booster for that. So you might as well get the other one anyways. Right. Right. Uh, OK. Yeah. There's, But right now at, for you at five years, unless you're immunocompromised, I would say don't worry about it. I don't think it's worth paying the extra money right now, and uh, the other thing I mean, we don't talk the, a lot uh, about is Shigurik has to pretty 70, uh,
1: so- uh, range. So um- sorry, but please repeat that. I'm within the 65 to 70 year age group. Right.
2: Yeah, so you're in that, like, really, uh, you're in that kind of that middle category right now, right? And we know with Zostavax, you don't want to wait till later. The efficacy is actually better when you get it earlier. So, again, I don't think that changes my recommendation. I think you're good with what you've got. The other thing that we haven't talked about is that Shingrix has, uh, uh, their their grade uh, uh, one side effects are quite, uh, you know, there's some significant arm swelling with that vaccine and some of the things that came out in the trial. So it's not absolutely inert. So there is a risk of getting some side effects when you have that vaccine that are, I think, more intense than Zostavax. Right? Okay. So if you don't need it right now, I would say don't right. get it. That being said, if you, you hadn't been vaccinated, I would say absolutely get the new one, right? Okay. So that's, uh, I think that's the short answer. Okay, good. Uh, Thank you. No okay, problem.
1: thanks, Gail. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, yeah, I think that's going to be one of
2: the uh, big... Uh,
1: big- questions. Yeah, yeah, we've done we've done a few programs on the new vaccine. Yeah, and yeah. in Ontario,
2: I think the coverage will so push people towards Zostavax for now. Uh, we'll see what what the recommendation is going to be because the guidelines now are starting to recommend Shingrix over Zostavax, right? We saw that uh, yeah. with the US guidelines NACI hasn't come out. Those are the Canadian guidelines. So we'll see how this all plays out. Uh, the reality is for those patients that got saw vaccine, you did the right thing the vaccine works it works very well it's not the end of the world if you don't get the new one uh, right away let's see what the evidence says and how this all plays out
1: okay that's
2: yeah. uh, that's good advice uh,
1: and uh, tell me a little bit more about uh, your study regarding cleaning out the pharmacy yeah so I made,
2: uh, yeah you know I talked a little bit about it kind of uh, what our goals were there and uh, we looked at a lot of things we looked at the classes of medications that were people were Hoarding, and I and you know, there were medications we were concerned about antibiotics, opioids, and whatnot. Uh, I'll give you an example of you know, something that we saw very frequently. It was, and I I think many of our patients probably uh, take use compliance packs, these are those packages that you get from your pharmacy. Your medications are already kind of all filled out, and what I found was. They had their compliance packs, but they also had these vials from before that they kind of had stored away. And there was one one patient in the study that really stood out. uh, You know, the physician was trying to figure out why this patient's potassium was so low. And and in his uh, uh, blister pack, he was on furosemide. That's a diuretic, but we know it lowers your potassium. And in order to combat that, we had put him on a a potassium supplement. But then when I got into uh, uh, his house... Uh, lo and behold, he he had a, another vial of furosemide that he was self-medicating with whenever he felt uh, swollen and uh, not well. Very, very dangerous given what he was already taking. And this was depleting his potassium. When you deplete your potassium uh, so quickly, it could put your uh, heart at risk with arrhythmias and other things. So very simple example of a guy just, you know, thought he was doing the right thing. But in reality, he was, he was doing something that could have been very, very uh, potentially serious. So we saw a lot of those type of examples, which uh, to me was concerning. Patients just adding to their own regimen. And then when the physician or the pharmacist isn't aware, what we do... Is we try to compensate with the information that we uh, that we have. So in the case of that guy, we were giving him more potassium. At some point, he would have ran out of his furosemide, and then we could have overdosed him on the potassium, which can is always you, you can overdose on absolutely. Pizza. Yeah, that's a, that could be potentially serious as well when you have high potassium levels. So, I mean, uh, I think the, the the learnings from our study is. Don't hoard your medications. That being said, don't throw it in the garbage. Uh, The pharmacies are there to dispose of your medication properly. So
1: you bring it to the end. Oh, I remember I once brought them in the containers, and they don't like that. You just Uh, dump them into a bag. No containers. No
2: containers is preferable because we worry about confidentiality, your name, and everything's on that. But that being said, if you bring it in, we'll manage it either way. Uh, You know, in the end, about 70% of the patients we visited in that study needed some type of medication removal service. So pharmacists came back with something. So. Uh, listen, if you're you're at home, uh, you've got this stuff, bring it into your pharmacy. It's not worth taking the risk. The other thing I worry about is uh, patients that may have, uh, you know, grandkids at home, kids at home, uh, that, that somehow get access to these older medications. And uh, it is concerning because especially with the opioids and some of these medications for depression and anxiety, they can be potentially dangerous.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, it, you know, kids getting into the medicine
2: cabinet, bad. But very bad, very bad and very Concerning, so yeah, it's something to think about. And I think uh, uh, your pharmacist is there to help. And again, if you're interested in a home visit, uh, we'll come out to the home and uh, and and try to do an assessment as well.
1: Okay, well, that sounds like a, a great service to have. As always, John Papa our are trusted contributor from the Ontario Pharmacists Association. Thank you so much for that. It was great to be here. Okay. And uh, that's it for Fight Back for today. We have a free-for-all Friday coming up tomorrow. Remember that, those of you who we could not get to on the lines today. And we now break for traffic and news.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.